Hey everybody, this is Pat Torpy from Mr. Big, and you're listening to Music Mania. Get ready for some screaming heavy metal! We rock! But the evil that men do... Now listening to the Music Mania podcast, brought to you by CD Warehouse in Gladstone, the number one hard rock podcast in the Midwest, featuring hard-hitting interviews with rock's living legends. And now, here's your host, Clint Schweitzer. Welcome, everyone, to the post-Christmas, pre-New Year's edition of the Music Mania podcast. I'm your host, Clint Schweitzer, and I've got your back throughout the holiday season, of course, we had an action-packed show last week as uh, a very metal Christmas occurred right here on the Music Mania podcast as uh, Brian Titchy and, of course, Mark Slaughter joined us uh, to talk about some of their Christmas-related projects. And now here we are, another shot. We got two guests on this show as well. This podcast becoming too big for just one guest. We had to bring on two, and we have two big ones today as uh, one of the great bassists of all time. Of course, you know him from Ozzy Osbourne, from Quiet Riot, White Snake, Dio, Blue Oyster Cult, and now even the guess who, Mr. Rudy Sarzo, is going to join us via Skype to talk about some of his adventures, including being featured in the Netflix documentary Hired Gun, which is awesome. Highly recommend that documentary, and uh, he's one of the uh, musicians featured in that. Uh, just a, a great documentary about uh, the musicians in, in the hard rock uh, industry and in rock and roll in general, how they land gigs, how they kind of change bands change directions and just the whole idea of this world of musicians that kind of go around and and, and the the pool of musicians that uh, are able to you know make a living doing what they love but uh, usually working for another artist you know bands uh, you know featured in you know guys like Billy Joel Alice Cooper and how uh, you know the band members that have worked for them over the years it's just a fantastic documentary and Rudy Sarzo who has just done it all we're going to talk to him about all that we can you know if we covered his entire career it would take up uh, three or four podcasts but we're going to get him in here and and talk about that and then in uh, our second segment we're going to be talking with an up-and-coming band singer patrick carney from the band station from new york of course the website stationband.com guys i cannot urge you enough to check this band out if you're into sort of that 80s um melodic hard rock you will love this band station i got them as a recommendation just a few months ago and i really wanted to talk to uh, one of the members so patrick the singer who's uh has a really good voice and just a uh, you know cornerstone of this band as they're getting some real headway there in new york city you can go to their website like i said stationband.com check out they have a couple tour dates coming up here over the next uh you know month or two and they're going to be making a big announcement this spring so hopefully big things coming from station i love supporting bands like this that are definitely uh you know along the mold of you know maybe like a Def Leppard, you know, kind of enough's enough. Uh, if you want to go back to the 80s and look at uh, just the fact that they have so many big hooks and choruses and guitar solos, it's just very, very good melodic hard rock. And it's good to see that making a comeback. And I can relate more with that music than I can uh, most of the hard rock that uh, comes out there today. But, you know, what a, we hope you guys have had just a wonderful holiday season. And, you know, we can't thank you enough for joining us and hitting that subscribe button on iTunes or YouTube, however you choose to listen to the podcast. Make sure you hit our website up, musicmaniapodcast.com, for all of our archived interviews and for some of my show reviews. It's all there, musicmaniapodcast.com. And without further ado, we want to go ahead and welcome our first guest this week. It is Mr. Rudy Sarzo joining us. Rudy, man, how's it going? Good. How about with you? Well, and that, that, 
<laughs> music's always been such a big part of your life, and I tell you, I've just been, uh, I just watched, of course, Hired Gun, the documentary that uh, everyone's seen now. It's, uh, it's on Netflix. It's a fantastic, fantastic film, and I want everyone to see it. Um, your involvement is there's quite a bit. You know, you talk about um, joining Ozzy, the things that you did. But what what do you think about the film um, in general? Do you think that uh, you know is as you've seen it? Do you think the the reception's been positive? What did you think uh, personally of it? Oh, I mean, the the reception is incredibly positive. I mean, I couldn't believe even in on Netflix. I mean, yesterday we were the number one most popular uh, show. You know, whether it was a movie or or, or episodes, uh, we were number one. I couldn't believe that. Uh, I mean, I I, I I I get it because the response, especially at the uh, at the screenings that the film had before it actually became available uh, for distribution, uh, it was always super positive. But then again, you know, you always tend to invite people that you know, and the people that you know happen to be in the music industry. So I thought, well, maybe it's just getting a positive uh, reaction because of uh, musicians are watching it, you know, or people connected with the music industry are watching it. But uh, no, I mean, right now we're going into a broader uh, market uh, with the movie being shown on Netflix. I mean, that's the average uh, television viewer, you know, but I guess, you know, since, since it's about music, which is the universal language, everybody somehow connects with it. You know, I, I, I personally, when I watched it for, for, for the first time, I learned a lot from yeah. other musicians. You know, all the musicians and records that were some of my favorite records ever that I didn't know that it took a certain sacrifices, you know, to, to create them. So that was, even for me, that was really enlightening. And, and, you know, it's, you know, you think about the term hired gun, there's something about it that almost has had maybe previously kind of an, almost a negative connotation with it. Like, oh, this guy, you know, he goes from band to band. He's in this band. He's hired by this band. You never quite tell. But I think after this, it kind of shows you just what goes on. Maybe it pulls the curtain back a little bit about what goes on in the music business and how, you know, I I think there was a good example in the film was Rob Zombie talking about, well, you had no idea that someone like Bob Kulik played on Kiss's Destroyer, that that wasn't all Ace Freely playing. The music business uh, has been doing this for years, but I think this maybe brings light to the fact that these musicians are as important as uh, you know, maybe the lead guys. I think this really has, has been a real positive for for a lot of players. Not, you know, not just you, but a lot of players that have been out there doing this for a long time. Yeah, what it does for for me, what it did is it's you know I I took two thing, a couple of things away from you know from watching the movie. It's the fact that we all, all of us, at some point, we are hired to do something, even if we're part. of of a big band, like for example, when I was in Whitesnake, I was uh, the, our mutual manager for Whitesnake and Sam Kinison called me up and said, "Hey, Sam is going into the studio. He's going to do a song called Wild Thing. You want to come down? Are you available?" I says, "Yes, I'll be down there. And by the way, can I bring my house guest, who at the time happened to be Phil Collin, guitar player from Def Leppard? He was staying with me, and she says, "Yeah, bring him down." So Phil played on the song on the record Wild Thing. I played on it. And, you know, there's Phil of the Flepper. <laughs> yeah. And me of White, and me of White Snake, who were hired to do this. You know, a, a, a musician that has a career doing this is Lukather, Steve Lukather. He'll, he'll play on all these top 
albums while still being a, a founding member of Toto. You know, we are musicians. We play. You know, people call us up. You know, we just we just can't be playing the same twenty songs for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So anytime that we find an opportunity to open up our creativity and, and do something cool with people that we admire, oh man, you know, we're there. Well, and that's kind of an interesting part too, is uh, you take a player like Jason Hook, who's uh, uh, he's amazing in the band Five Finger Death Punch, but he, he toured for years with Mandy Moore. Um, yeah. is, there, is, there a, is there a line there? Because... Um, I don't want to. I don't know about someone compromising their integrity. I don't, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not a musician myself, Rudy. You've played with, well, you know, you know what I mean. Is there a line there, though? I, I, it's a really good question, and it, 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 the clue to that answer is the fact that no, there's no line because when Alice Cooper saw him, he said, "Hmm," he noticed him and said, "Somebody that would fit into the Alice Cooper band." So obviously. You know, Jason was allowed to be himself, to be that bad boy image on stage. Go out there and rock out. You know, so, no, there's no line. Absolutely. You know, as long as you're allowed to be yourself. And obviously, Jason was. How how important is that for you as you, throughout your career, over 35 years in the business, from, you know, Royal Documented, from Quiet Riot, to Whitesnake, to Ozzy, uh, all the things that you've done, is is there... something that that you look back on and say you know i you know i just i, I don't want to do this unless it, unless it makes me happy unless it's a musical you know journey for me is uh, kind of oh, what's your take I, on it i after all these years i mean going in i will know just because of the style of music it is or even the people that i would be involved in or or it might be logistics you know, like like travel logistics. How long am I going to be away from home? You know, at a time. You know, versus the uh, the status. You know, because you have to balance your family life. Because you lose one thing and you gain another one, which is you know being on on tour with with a really cool band. The last band that I was that I actually did go out on a long tour, like say like six weeks at a time, sometimes eight weeks. That would be Dio. And to go out on the road with Ronnie James Dio, that whatever I sacrifice from being away from my family, and my family understood this, the joy of playing with Ronnie, you know, you, you gain that. And even though you lose, you know, time being time with the family, but it just, it just balances out, you know. It does, and I, I think you know. Talking about about Dio, I, I look back at the the album you did, uh, Master of the Moon, uh, with no, Ronnie. Actually, I, no, actually, I got a call to do that record, but I was touring with Inve for about three or four weeks, and I got called in the middle of the tour, so I could not leave the tour. So actually, Jeff Pilson played on that, Je- and yes, and 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 then we worked it out. Then when when I when I finished my commitment with Inve, then I joined Dio. So I did the tour for Master of the Moon. I actually got to play with Ronnie on the uh, Holy Diver anniversary 
DVD and CD. That was it was a live recording that we did. Yeah, that was at Wacken. That was amazing. One an, an amazing show. And you know the thing, the the idea that of course you know Jeff Pilson, who's been on this show before, you had Jimmy Bain, who had been played with Ronnie. I mean, just these guys like Ronnie, Ronnie, who surrounded themselves with just the best musicians, and that you know so professional. I think that's what was great about him. And um, it's unbelievable to me that just it's almost it's been almost eight years since since we lost Ronnie. That just that just doesn't seem right. You know, Rudy, it just doesn't seem doesn't seem possible, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and especially when we thought that he had beaten the, uh, the cancer, you know, and it just, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll never forget. I mean, we were actually rehearsing. Uh, the band Dio was rehearsing to go on the uh, uh, European tour uh, when he was uh, diagnosed. We, we were at rehearsal, actually, and... Uh, and six months later to the date that we finished that last rehearsal, um, he passed away. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, it's it, it, you know, that's been something that's been sort of a theme. You just think about the last two years and the people we've lost in the metal community. And this this is just from your entire career. I mean, the, the, at the onset of your, your career, you lose a friend and a bandmate in Randy Rhodes when you're playing together in Ozzy. You, of course, were together in Quiet Riot. Does it, What is emotionally for you years i mean does it ever i know you can't say it it's ever something that you get used to but my goodness like it's just sort of it's just sort of a sobering thought i think that you can be with these people and then they're just one day not there and the, the mark they've made on on music is is insurmountable i know that i know that it's just got to be hard for you yeah it, it, it's it's hard and it's confusing because you're trying to find a meaning uh such as what does this mean? What does this mean? The, the first thing that I took away from, from Randy's tragic uh, accident was, uh, you know, I look back and I thought, you know, Randy to the very last note, he was magnificent. He played like there was no tomorrow because he, he and of course he didn't have a tomorrow after after that show that we did on, uh, in, uh, in Knoxville, March 18th, 1982. And uh, so I, I learned from that to treat every day like there might not be a tomorrow because I, you know a lot of people that a lot of my band you know bandmates you know they uh, they experience that so you know you you want to walk away getting something out of it not just have the tragedy go to waste you know not just wouldn't be like a wasted you know uh loss you know yeah you want to gain something from that loss you know that what i gain from it is is a new meaning to my life you know and another thing is you know the what we do the people who are left behind all of us who are left behind we're we're left with the responsibility to keep the memory of those that we lost alive, you know, their music, keep their music alive. That's that's our responsibility. You know, when, when you put a band together, have you ever been in a band? No, no, not 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 a good one anyway. Not. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you know, usually, you know, you put a band, and then if you get it, you know, let's right. say you're blessed enough to, to to get a record deal, you go on tour, and then, you know, that's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work. I mean, it, it gets to the point that if anything happens to one of us, you know, we want we want that band to go on because we all work very hard 
you know, to make it happen. We just don't want it to go to waste. Even even bands that, that I'm no longer playing in, I want them to carry on because while I was in that band, we all work very hard and we and, and most of the time we accomplish some really significant things, you know, uh, with our music and and the and the progress of the group and you know we went to certain places that nobody else ever had you know and and you don't want that to disappear you just don't want it to go away so it's i am glad that you know some of the groups that i played in that they're doing so well you know because it's you know even though i'm not part of that i was there and i was part of the building block of the success of that band and i'm very proud of it and i'm very proud of how well they, they keep doing you know so so again it's 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 our responsibility to continue to celebrate everything the memories the music everything that and and, and celebrate the fans that have supported us all these years you know well I, that's so, that's really well said and that's something that kind of ties me into uh, something that I that I talked with a lot of musicians from your era about because I think there's something about your era of music that that does live on in ways that are that are almost unfathomable because I don't I don't know if music today can ever take the reins and, and take off from what you guys had but you look at bands like Foreigner for instance that are are playing big places with no original members some nights, Rudy. And I think that you think about the, the film hired gun, you think about the musicians that, that go in between these bands and maybe that, maybe that's what it's all about going into the future is, is keeping these memories, keeping these songs alive, uh, regardless of who plays on what and who played on what record and who was the original member in this band. Maybe that's just what it's about is a celebration of this music. And that's what has to be embraced going forward. Cause I don't think there's a lot out there today that it's grabbing people the way, for instance, you know, quiet riots, metal health did, which you joined in the middle of the recording of that album. You know what I'm saying no actually i i joined uh, there's only two songs that i've been not played on i played on every every other song of the record so it's not like i just joined in the middle of it because there was no middle <laughs> so would have been would have been if, if five songs were already done and no <laughs> when, when i went in the studio actually the first day i went in to just record one song which was uh thunderbird and i stayed for about at least four more, three or four more songs. Because a lot of those songs, such as Slick Black Cadillac, already, we used to, I, I used to play that with Randy and Kevin in the first version of Quiet Riot. So I knew that song. And then, you know, songs like Let's Get Crazy, Love's a Bitch, and, and you know, songs like that. I used to play with Kevin in his own group called Dupro. So a lot of the music that was recorded for Metal Hell, I already have been playing with Kevin before I joined sure. Ozzy. So when I went in to just record Thunderbird, we did it so quickly that we had, you know, we had plenty of time to do more recording. So they I, they asked me if I wanted to play, I said, sure. So it's not like I just jumped in in the middle. Sure, no. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I, uh, uh, that, um, obviously, you were... A big part of the of that band, the, the the version of Randy Rhodes, and that was in the late seventies. And you, that was sort of your indoctrination to being in a hard rock band. I believe before that, you know that um, you know you you kind of dabbled in other styles of music. And that was kind of your first, you know, first start with with the the genre in general. Was was that yeah, version of Quiet Riot? Yeah. Well, basically, what it boiled down to is when I when musicians of my generation moved to Los Angeles and there were very few local musicians 
that actually were born and raised in LA. Uh, you know, you have like uh, the guys in Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot was really an LA band. But even Van Halen, they were not, they, you know, if you remember, they were from Holland. Yep. So they moved oh, yeah. to LA. They moved to LA, not necessarily to join the, uh, the music industry, but they were not native from Los Angeles, you know, California. And I would say the rest of us uh, actually moved to Los Angeles to try to get a record deal. So when, when bands were formed in LA, it was specifically, and I'm talking about the Sunset Strip bands, to showcase for record labels. It wasn't about playing top 40, it wasn't about you know playing gigs, uh, you know doing four or five sets a night. It was to concentrate on writing original material and showcasing for labels. Every every club in what was considered the Hollywood Sunset Strip scene was a showcase club because they were very close to where the labels were based. If you played outside, let's say if you played in the Valley or if you play in Orange County, that was a whole different scene. Yes, you mm-hmm. could do top 40, but as long as you were playing in Hollywood and West Hollywood, Sunset Strip, that was just showcasing. Record companies were not interested in bands that were doing copy material. They were not, you know. So, so uh, going back to uh, to actually Quiet Riot, yes, I, I grew up in Miami. In order to play in Miami, you know, I had to playing clubs and what the clubs wanted in Miami was top 40 you know so yeah. yes I so, but when I got to actually I was in a band in the Midwest with actually Frankie Benelli was in the band with me we were playing the Chicago circuit and you know nearby markets like Michigan and Wisconsin and so on and uh, we were we were not able to do a whole lot of original material, even though once in a while we would like squeeze in one or two songs in a late night, you know, late set. But most of the material was was rock and roll, but it was, you know, other people's music, rock. Yep. It wasn't until I joined Quiet Riot that I was mostly just doing originals. Uh, there were a couple of covers by The Faces or maybe another band like the Easy Beats, but the, the core of the set list for Quiet Riot was all original. Is there something that stands out to you? Because um, obviously after Quiet Riot, you move on to things like White Snake. Uh, we talked about him from Bloister Cult. Uh, you've worked with Jeff Tate's uh, Queensryche, which I love that album, by the way. Is there something that stands out to you? Something that you think about that that maybe was the most gratifying for you? Was it was it Quiet Riot maybe becoming you know the first uh, hard rock album to hit number one? Uh, Slip of the Tongue with uh, White Snake was was huge. You were on six MTV videos with White Snake. Is there something that stands out to you that you just a moment that you realized, oh my god, I can't believe that I'm doing this? Uh, yes, it was definitely Ozzy when I joined Ozzy in 1981, and that was, you know, due to Randy Rhodes uh, recommending me. And and at that point, you were living literally broke on just sleeping on the floor somewhere, and then in, in five days, you know, immediately you were moved into Ozzy's mansion. Right, and this is after, uh, before uh, Speak of the Devil, correct? Way before. <laughs> when you when you moved when you moved it with Ozzy, it was this was because uh, you toured with Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me give you the uh, timeline. I I was living with Kevin Dubrow, and uh, let's see, I get the call to join the band, and at the time I was also playing with a band called Angel, and um, so then I turn it down, and then the next day Ozzy called me himself and tells me that Randy keeps telling him that I'm the guy. See, the reason why I really got the gig is because they needed somebody that they could trust. You know, they were in LA and they were, any time that bass player came up, they really didn't know who this guy was, you know. And they had 10 days to get the whole thing together and hit the road. There was a lot of, a lot writing financially and career-wise for Ozzy, you know. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of money put from Sharon's family, who was the management and the record company, uh, Jet Records, to finance the tour. And they needed somebody who was not going to be a bad influence on Ozzy, you know. So Randy <laughs> trusted me. Yeah, Randy knew, you know, we, we, have, we have played together in, in Quiet Riot. Uh, I, w- I used to teach at his mom's school. He knew me very well. He knew that I was not going to be a bad influence, that I was going to know the songs, that I was going to perform. Uh, I was going to give it a thousand percent every night, you know, that I was the right guy for, for what they were looking for, you know, and that's how I got the gig, you know, because Randy trusted me and Ozzy and Sharon trusted Randy. And then, then you know, through time, they got to know me <laughs> and trust me, you know, but initially that's what separated me from, from anybody else that went after the gig. Well, it's funny you've 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 played with with so many musicians and so many great people, but I, I've literally never heard a bad word said about you, which is rare. I mean, this, with you know, come on, when you mix you mix uh, different ideas and different members and different uh, personalities, it's you know, you, there's a lot of dirt out there in the metal industry, but never a bad word said about you. Uh, how much do you attribute that to the fact that you were largely clean and sober? Uh, just be a straight-minded thinker. I mean, that you know, like you said, you're reliable. That has to go a long way in the business, does it not? Well, being clean and sober doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a smooth sailing in, in the industry. Uh, believe it or not, there was a lack of trust for people that did not party. <laughs> I can see that, yeah. Back in the 80s. Because, you know, the, the, the people that that were significant within a, within the group, you know, uh, they would like to party, and if you were not partying, you were not trusted. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy so, to think. That's crazy. So, so you, you have to dabble socially. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like enough to be trusted, but not <laughs> enough to, to, you know, to lose control. Basically. Sure. You have to be very, very control of everything you're doing. Which is hard to do, you know, in, in Los Angeles, especially during that time on the on the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood. A lot of a lot of a lot of craziness, a lot of crazy stories. But you know, um, it's always been important to me. I've always wanted to kind of get your perspective um, before we let you go here. And I just can't thank you enough uh, for your time, Rudy. It's just been amazing to talk to you. But of course, you know, um, you have quite a lot of business history with uh, with Frankie Benali, of course, uh, Quiet Riot. Kevin DeBrow passed away um, in two thousand seven, and. Frankie has chosen to continue on with various singers, various musicians in his band. Where, where are you on that on the, in the continuance of Quiet Riot? Obviously, you said someone like Kevin DeBro might have wanted the band to go on. I mean, is that how you feel about Quiet Riot right now? Well, uh, when I did a documentary for for uh, Now You Here, uh, was it Now You Here, Now You Gone? You know the uh, the one that Frankie. Oh yeah, Now uh, You're Here. There's no way back. Yeah. No, no way back. Yeah. yeah. 
I, you know, I'm on camera and I'm telling Frankie, you know, and this is before he found uh, James, you know, Durbin. This is years ago, because, you know, it, it takes a while to actually have a, doc, a, a documentary done. Sure. It's about three years, three years at least, you know, working on a documentary. So a lot of stuff happened in between. So I told Frankie, listen, and I told this to anybody, and I think we, we touched on this during our conversation. I told him, if you don't, if you don't go out there and celebrate your friend's memory, meaning Kevin Dubrow, nobody will. And then again, this goes back to the conversation we just we just had a few minutes ago. Yeah. You know, this is, it's Frankie's, Frankie's has been entrusted by Kevin and even myself to keep the memory of Quiet Riot going. Because if he, if he doesn't, nobody will, you know. Yeah. And, and if he doesn't, everything that we work for and we sacrifice for will all just go in a cloud of smoke. Uh, that is that is that's a very poignant, very well said. Uh, tell you what, Rudy, uh, I said this to I said this to, uh, um, to I, I've talked to so many people just about about you and and, and stories and, and lots of musicians. Uh, you always are just people have such the kindest things to say about you. I think that's just so wonderful. Um, you just have this wonderful personality and just one of my favorite bass players of all time. We talked to Phil Susan who played with Ozzy on um, later on. Uh, in, in, in the late 80s and uh, I said well Phil you're my second favorite Aussie bassist and he said well behind who and I said well Rudy Sarzo of course he thought I was going to say Geezer Butler but it was you so Phil Susan had a dose of reality when we had him on this show because uh, he's my second favorite Aussie bass player behind you so <laughs> I, lo- I love Phil I love Phil and, and I have nothing but respect and admiration for for every bass player that has ever played with Ozzy. I mean, those are man, those are some demanding shoes to fit. You know, I mean, Keiser has played with Ozzy outside of Black Sabbath. Yeah, uh, Bob Daisley, of course. You know, one of the the founding father of that lineup. You know, uh, yeah, I have nothing but admiration and uh, and, and 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 just. You know, respect. I mean, and again, you know, every time one of one of one of us moves on, you know, I I I I always hope, and Ozzy's always able to do this, bring in the best that he can find to keep you know to keep the the, the legacy going. As a matter of fact, Blasco is a is a neighbor of mine. Wow, <laughs> which I love. I mean, he, I love Rob. I, I love his work. I love everything about him. He's an incredible bass player, incredible human being. Absolutely, I, and uh, Rudy, of course, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about. Uh, I mean, because you've been playing with the Guess Who. Uh, where's what's the status of that? And you know, what can we expect, kind of going forward from oh, you? It's great. It's great. I'm having a blast playing with the band. It's uh, we, you know, it's a band with 17 top 40 hits. You know, and, and a lot of them were number one. You know. Uh, uh, we have a new record coming out. As a, as a matter of fact, there's three bass players on that record because by the time that I officially joined the band, most of the record was done. So that right. one of those situations, yes, it was mostly done. So they uh, they saved a couple of tracks for me. Uh, the, uh, Jim Kale, the original bass player, is on that record, and Michael Devin, my uh, my white snake. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which I love, Michael. I love Michael. He's 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 awesome. Oh, yeah. that that's great. And, 
and he's on that. And um, we have uh, our lineup is uh, the founding member, uh, Gary Peterson on drums. And we have uh, Leonard Shaw on keyboards and vocals and flute. And we have Derek Sharp on lead vocals and guitar and Will Ivankovic on guitar and vocals. And uh, actually, as a matter of fact, uh, Will and Derek, uh, they co-wrote and, well, Derek, I, th I believe, wrote most of the songs, but they also co-wrote some, some of the music too and produced the record. And Will also produced uh, six new record with Tommy Shaw. Which is awesome, wrote, yes. Yeah, and wrote a lot of the music. So there's so much talent in that band, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I, I, a lot of the members have been in the group for like 20 years you know uh, so it's, it's it's a really solid foundation and you know, yeah like everybody's like, so nice and talented it yeah. is like you said just like a legendary band so many so many huge hits and just like I've always said this and I'm I am dead serious and I'm most people probably even, maybe even you would tell me that I'm wrong I've always been a bigger Guess Who fan than a Who fan, and I'm serious. I've always just loved the Guess Who, man. I've always been. A well, it's, it's 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 a different tree, you know. Sure, <laughs> that's a nice way of saying it. Yes, yes. Well, you know, fruits. You know, uh, uh, the Who. I mean, have you ever read Pete Townsend's book? Yes, I love it. I do. I do like the Who, but yeah. I just something about the Guess Who. That yeah. sound that like they had this like gritty guitar sound that just like popped off to me I don't know something about them and now now you're yeah, a member yeah. of course you are Rudy yeah I, I mean it, it was it's it's all different band I mean it's all different concept I mean of course I, you know I love the whole thing about the who I mean End Whistle is one of my top two yes heroes, especially rock heroes you know and uh, so much respect and you know I mean I can't imagine my life without the who in it you know and but the guess who were a such an important part of the soundtrack of my life. Yeah, so, underrated. You know, so it's, it's it's great. Well, before Rudy, I'm going to leave you with a story, and this is one thing that I always tell people whenever I talk about you, and I, I talk about with you with a lot of people, like I said. And I remember uh, seeing Blue Oyster Cult open for Alice Cooper in 2007 uh, at the State Fair in Missouri, and uh, you know I know a lot of musicians, I know a lot of people, and I look up there. And uh, my buddy, I go, that's Rudy Sarzo. And he goes, no, there's no way. He's not in Blue Oyster Cult. I go, that is absolutely Rudy Sarzo. And I think you won me a bet that night, 50 bucks. I won that bet. And it was you in Blue Oyster Cult. I just thought that was amazing. Like, I, that's, I'd miss that totally that you were that, had joined that band. I was like, I've missed this, but Rudy, here he is. Here he is at Blue Oyster Cult. So I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I remember that show very, very, very well. Uh, not only because Alice was playing, but uh, it was a great crowd, and yeah, it was so much fun because I got, I, you know, I I knew a lot of the guys in the band, so I got to hang out with all of them backstage I, and stuff, you know. I, is there is there somebody that you have ever like a band that maybe or an artist that uh, you came close to joining that maybe people don't really know about uh, anything like that, or someone that you really wish you had played with or want to play with, anything like that? Oh, there's always people you want to play with, but you know, it's just. I figure, you know, whatever God, you know, brings my way, you know, I, people ask me, I always say God is my agent, so I never argue, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I, I, as a matter of fact, I, I, I have turned down so many gigs that, 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 you know, somehow I, I actually wind up doing the gig that, 
that I can't even imagine my life without having done those gigs. Yeah. So by now, I am I am a little bit more careful when I turn things down because even though I eventually wind up doing them, I just uh, <laughs> unless it's a situation, you know. Now what I do is find out if let's make it work rather right. than say no. Oh, Rudy, you are truly a treasure here in the, in the in the metal community in the in the rock community. I tell you what, I hope um, everyone checks out the documentary. It is called Higher Gun. It's on Netflix. It's things everybody's seen it by now. If you haven't, check it out for sure. Uh, you can tweet uh, tweet Rudy at Rudy Sarzo. Pretty easy to remember that Twitter RudySarzo.com. That's the website. Rudy, keep in touch, my man. Let's keep in touch. And I'll tell you what, I hope you uh, and your family just have a wonderful holiday season. Uh, you know, I just hope you guys have a great one. You too. God bless. Thanks a lot. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Cliff. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye. Huge thanks to Rudy Sarzo. Man, one of my favorite bass players of all time. The guy's just done it all. I was such a huge fan, uh, of course, of Quiet Riot back in the day. And the work he did with Ozzy Osbourne, uh, on into White Snake, uh, some of their you know great work in the late 80s. He was in several music videos uh, with David Coverdale and the guys, and just what a great band that was, you know, with a guitarist like John Sykes, a drummer like Tommy Aldridge, who he is, of course, has gone on to work with throughout the years. You just think about uh, how Rudy Sarzo is like tied to literally every musician in the hard rock world in some way. It is amazing. You talk about six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Well, I got six degrees of Rudy Sarzo for you, great guest. And uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome our second guest here on the Music Mania podcast. Waste no time. We are talking with Patrick Carney from the band Station. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, Clint, what's going on? It's just Patrick. Oh, it's just, okay. Hey, awesome, man. Well, great. Well, man, I tell you what, cannot thank you enough for uh, for joining us here. And how's everything going, man? Merry Christmas. And I know you guys are gearing up. It's just uh, it's a good time of year, is it not? Oh, yeah, no, it's the best. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice. It's relaxing. Uh, you know, we stayed pretty busy pretty much all year that was kind of the cool thing that uh, uh you know for us it was it was just it was massively busy massively massively busy if we weren't in the studio we were playing shows we were writing new songs it was just it's so busy so now that it's like the end of the year it's kind of like all right let's <laughs> let's take some time off you know spend some time with our families and you know so forth well, Patrick, I got to be honest. Uh, you're one of those bands that I just feel like uh, I don't know. You you probably have bands like this too, where you feel like you're the one that discovered them. They that you put them in your back pocket and they're yours, and you just you get to, you get to tell the world about them. And that's what kind of station is for me. I, I'm a I'm a big fan. Um, I, I just came across you guys by a random recommendation. I you know checking out all the stuff. Uh, I know you guys have played Rocklahoma before, a festival we cover every year. You, this band just has something about you guys. I mean you. I don't know what it is. You have this, this this melodic sound. It's definitely a throwback. I know you guys have been around a few years now, though. But what's what's just talk about kind of the genesis of this band, how it came together, and just where you found uh, you know this sound. Oh yeah, sure. So well, first of all, thanks for being a thanks for being a fan. I, I think uh, one one cool thing that we have found as a unit is that we we just we have the best fans. Like our our, our fans uh, are are super loyal, and it's something that I don't want to say it was unexpected. But it was kind of like, I guess I didn't realize to the degree that a lot of people who have come out to our shows have come up to us and said, like, just really complimentary things that are, we're just kind of like, oh, wow, I, I, you know, it feels really special to be, you know, it feels special to be special to somebody. So, so seriously, thank you so much. We really, we, we on behalf of the band, like, we really do appreciate that. Um, as far as, like, the band started, I think, um, What's kind of cool is, uh, you know, 
Chris and I, we have been fans of, you know, we've been playing fans of rock, like, you know, forever. Like, you know, he and I, uh, we only met back in 2010 uh, for the first time. So the band's actually, like, I, you know, I haven't known Chris for super, super long. Um, but he and I both, uh, we had left other bands, other projects that we were doing. And uh, I was in, like, a much heavier band, like, a, like pro- probably more closely related to Judas Priest, mm-hmm. like later Judas Priest, like, you know, heavy. Uh, and Chris was kind of doing his own project, um, you know, writing his own stuff, and and uh, he was kind of unhappy with what he was doing. So um, we ended up uh, meeting and just started, like, talking about the bands we really liked, you know. And I'll never forget our first phone conversation we ever had. We were, like, discussing what songs we wanted to jam on. And before I said anything, he's like, have you ever heard of this band's Living Color? Oh, my gosh, I love <laughs> Living Color. You know, oh, uh, you, like, we could do that. We could do Cult Personality. Uh, do you know any Skid Row? And Chris is like, I love Skid Row. You know, so it was, like, this instant connection where it was, like, you know, the, the joke is always, like, he's on one end of the bridge and I'm on the other end of the bridge and we're like running in the middle you know (laughs) (laughs) i love that dude that's awesome that that's funny the connection you made is like for me whenever i date someone it's like do you you know skid road you know you know youth gone wild okay well yeah well that's a good start i mean that's (laughs) that's so cool man it's so cool music does that like you you could not know somebody whatsoever and like you just one little thing like uh have you ever seen heard of that lillian axe album you know poetic jazz oh my god yeah and that just that's that's music for it that's why it's so great isn't it Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's kind of what's cool about, you know, um, melodic rock in general is that, you know, when you have, when you have, like, you can tell someone's personality and you can tell if someone's cool or not, you know, basically. Um, like, if you start, you know, name dropping, like, you know, or not name dropping, but like, you know, it's like saying, you know, albums that you really like and people having, like, the same visceral reaction that you're having where it's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know, and then you kind of like, all right, we're cool. We're going to go drink together and talk about, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, well, you guys are obviously very passionate about this and you're a New York band, which is cool because, uh, you know, and I, I want to get your take on this. Like, what what is the, the New York scene like today? Because obviously, like, my favorite New York bands are obviously like Kiss, Twisted Sister, Anthrax. Like, what, obviously, you know, punk was huge uh, in the early 80s in New York. You had CBGB. There's been so many things coming in and out of New York. What's the scene like now when, when you guys play? Uh, kind of just give us a, you know, what, what's, what's your take on the New York scene currently? Well, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's very... Um uh, it's very diverse, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that's uh, necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Um, and the reason <laughs> I'll kind of explain. Well, because like you know, for uh, you know, pretty much the city in general is a very difficult place to play. I mean, you know, it's like the old adage, you know, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere, but there's some level of truth to that because the competition is so high. And I'm not even talking about, like, competition between rock bands. I'm just talking competition to, like, you know, there's a Broadway show or a bar or, like, you know, events. You know, there's always something constantly going on in New York. And so when we have you know, our own shows, you know, especially in the beginning, when, like, before we really had fans, it was like, you know, it was a struggle to, you know, make enough noise to have people pay attention, you know, and uh, it's a little bit friendlier for the hip-hop scene or for the indie rock scene because it's kind of part of the aesthetic and, and there's a, probably a larger surplus of, of, you know, your average millennials that, like, want to, you know, just be a part of 
an indie scene, so to speak. Uh, but as far as like rock goes, it's very difficult. Um, you know, it hasn't really changed even for as long as we've been playing. There have been a couple of bands that have come out of New York uh, recently that are sort of doing melodic rock, but. Um, I wouldn't say it's, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting is like whenever we actually get out to, um, you know, around your area, like, you know, in the Midwest and yeah. so forth, we actually, we have, like, that's where a, a huge chunk of our fan base is, uh, and our, our biggest supporters are out there. It's kind of refreshing, you know, it gets us, you know, it gets us city slickers, you know, out of the city, but <laughs> it, also is, it also is cool because it gets us to, you know, to, uh, to go to areas where, like, you know, we can we can make a lot of noise and we can build fans and we can get people like you to shoot us an email after you need to go on a podcast. You know what I mean? So That's awesome. And that's what it's all about. Now, you know, and we got to get you guys out here to Kansas city, somewhere in the area. That's where we're at here, man. We'd love to, love to have you. I hope we can make that happen here sometime in 2018. I know you guys are busy. Let's talk about the, some of these songs because we talk about today. It's, Music is so different. There's so many different ways to get music out there. And for you guys, for me, it was it was the videos. It was uh, all you need is, is a heartbeat, you know. And so those videos are so important. You guys, you guys have high. This is like high production. This is not like some joke video. These are high production, like very nicely produced videos. How big a part of the videos are is it for you guys? Because you know people find the music in so many different ways now. YouTube's a big one, and you guys have these great videos. I mean, they stand out, man. They really do. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the you know, good, good or bad, you know, we have to uh, accept just as musicians that the industry is very different now than it was, you know, even 10 years ago. And you have to kind of, um, you know, when, you know, like obviously the music always comes first, like, you know, because you can't polish a turd, you know, so, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time owning our craft and, and making sure that we as a band are always tight, we always have great songs, and I, I think that that's something that's kind of cool and will always shine through. So, uh, in everything else that we do like media wise it's it's something where we kind of we take a look at what we just did and we're like okay we're really proud of this song we're really proud of this music we're really proud of this recording how do we interpret this into something visual you know like what kinds of cool things we want to accomplish you know and do it in a way that there's an element of, you know, shareability, you know, there's, you know, because if we, I mean, you know, some of my favorite videos of all time, to be completely honest, are, are simple performance videos. I, there's, there's something about them where I'm just like, yeah, this is like totally rock. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, I, I can understand if we just made seven music videos of us just doing that, it's a little, you know, like it does, I don't think it does the music justice. I don't think it's, you know, always the best thing so every music video that we've done has also has also been pretty pretty much as, as carefully crafted as as our production yeah. songs because you know we've we've worked with directors and, uh, and Chris really takes I, I gotta give Chris like you know most of if not all the credit for uh, some of this because uh, a lot of the videos that have um, that we've done have kind of been uh, his brainchild you know he's, he's actually essentially directed a couple of them um for you know better or for worse but um but it's it's cool because it's it's like you know we don't we don't want to just throw up a video for the sake of throwing up a video um we want to make sure that it's you know it's it's it, god forbid you know it gets on mtv or whatever you know it's like hey we want to we want to be able to hold a candle to some of our peers 
Absolutely. That's funny you mentioned MTV. I'd forgotten about them. I forgot about that channel. I forgot about them playing music videos, right? <laughs> That's funny, man. But no, I, I was just watching the video for Never Enough. And th- you guys have the, have a really good mix because, the, you know, the songs I've heard, you guys, a really good mix of like uh, really good up-tempo rock songs. They're just melodic as hell. I mean, just, like, hooks for days. That's what music is for me. Like, I was a kid and like I heard Def Leppard like pour some sugar on me. I heard that chorus like that's the kind of music I like. I don't know what this is or what Def Leppard. I'm like three years old. I heard that. That's music to me. It's just songs that like get in your head. Like all you need is a heartbeat. You know the song, this video for Never Enough. I was just checking that out. It's just such good. It's just music the way I like it. Melodic. This has to be. Is it a deal where you guys kind of sit down and you're like this? We need this to sound 80s or is it just? I mean I don't know. Like you talk about the band you guys like. How do you? How do you come up with this stuff? Because it's it totally does sound '80s. I hate to pigeonhole you. Is like I'm not trying to pigeonhole. Like this sounds '80s, but but in a way it does. Like is that on purpose? Like how does this all come about? Well, you know what's kind of interesting is that, and maybe this is the hurdle that we we will you know we're probably gonna have to fight with this for the rest of our lives. But um, you know when I was kind of talking about competition before, uh, I think what's kind of interesting is that. There are bands out there that they're all trying to out Nikki Six themselves. You know, <laughs> they're kind of, you know, they're, they're yeah. kind of taking um, the melodic rock cliche and just in becoming. I don't want to say a joke, but I feel like they're they're taking they're taking the lifestyle of some of that. You know, like 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 Faster Pussycat. Like whether or not you like them, um, there's you know, they, like they they really were selling you know the sleeves in yeah. what they were doing, and I think that there are a lot of bands that, you know, kind of take that element of the 80s and turn it into something a little ridiculous or try to oversell it. For us, like, you know, I, it's always been about writing great music, you know, like, uh, you know, we, um, when Chris and I first met, you know, and Chris is the primary songwriter of the band, but when we first met, to us, it was like, you know, if you write a great song, then everything else falls into place afterwards because you can't, you know, you can't like if we were to like you know like style is important image is important you know all that kind of stuff is important but at the same time like we always thought okay well we just need to focus on writing great songs first and foremost before we do anything because it doesn't matter I mean there are so many examples of songs that you know have millions of of views and streams and things like that and the bands don't go anywhere you know and it, it's because they're not really good songs so for us it was always like okay you know let's take all of our influences like all our actual you know real influences and just write great rock music you know not trying to be anything you know because if you take like if you even break down our influences you know as individuals like Chris Chris is like all about the Beatles and he's all about um, uh, you know Zeppelin he's all about like George Michael and Wham and Annie Lennox and and Winger you know and but like you know he's much more on that side of the spectrum and like I actually come in from like Maiden and Priest you know and like way like the heavier stuff you know um so we when we kind of got together and we started doing stuff it was like well we these are the bands that we like we have a huge overlap in the middle that happens to be melodic rock so let's write melodic rock that you know we like like we're not trying to do anything other than just write and record great music 
know? Yeah. There's really not much more behind it. <laughs> I, but see, I love the simplicity of that because I don't know if it's just me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm only 33 years old, but I grew up with this stuff. I just love, I, I mean, from, from Slayer to Bon Jovi, like all of it, just absolutely all of it. So I kind of see that side of it where you can have different people that come in with these different ideas. Your voice is, uh, well, I mean, it's a great rock voice and you kind of have that kind of higher register, you know, more along the lines of a, of a Dickinson, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm sure you don't mind that being compared to Bruce Dickinson. That, that's never a bad thing, right? Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! No, 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 my, my, I, fiance, just, my fiance is uh, is trying to <laughs> at some point get me to meet him, but uh, and I think I think if I do that, I'm gonna I'm gonna melt into a pile of nothing. Yeah, we <laughs> we've amazing. we've had we've had Nico on this show before. We've not we've not had Bruce. We tried to get uh you know try to get it in with the uh, he just released a book, so we're like okay maybe we can get get him get to him through the publishers. And it's like oh my god, Rod Smallwood is somewhere you know just filtering all cutting off all these guys. It just hey. You can't get to Bruce. Eddie Trunk could probably get to Bruce, you know, not not us. But hey, you you guys know how that goes. But you know, the truth of it is, man, I've been so disillusioned with with modern rock music for so long. And I know that's cliche to say. You talked about bands trying to you know out Nikki Six one another, and there's a lot of bands that that do that. And I and I and I try to give them a chance because I do come from that era of that I like a visual presentation as well, which you you guys do have. But it's not obviously the the main thing for you guys, but. When you when you hear songs like what you guys have, it's it is different. It's a breath of fresh air, and I and I hope you know that. I know I hope you hear that a lot because it, it's the case when music just has has not stood up to me lately. You know, in the last really twenty years, probably longer than that. Really since I don't know, maybe since Kurt Cobain came out. I don't know, maybe it's been twenty five years since since music. I mean, I always blame Guns N' Roses for that though. They didn't really bridge the gap between hair metal and grunge. So I don't know. I'm rambling on here, but you know what I mean. Like there's you guys are a breath of fresh air, and I and I hope you know that, and I hope that the you know that means something to you guys going forward because there's a lot of, a lot of potential in this band and I hope you guys uh, can keep it going man Oh yeah absolutely I mean we're not we're not stopping anytime soon um, we you know we have the new record it's going to be uh, it, it's currently in the final mixing stages we're going to get it mastered early next year for the holidays and then pretty much you know with you expect some awesome new music and content and everything you know in 2018 cuz that's you know that's what we're doing that's we're just going that's awesome. I know you guys got a couple shows coming up here. I think it's starting in January, you got a couple shows coming up. Um, what's what's the touring schedule going to look like for you guys here? Well, um, we have uh, we have a couple of one-offs that are already uh, sort of booked, but we are uh, planning uh, a bigger run, and it's kind of in the works. And, and some stuff some stuff's happening behind the scenes that I can't really talk about. Right. But, um, we're hoping that. Um, the end of April and, and May, you'll see a lot of station on the road, uh, and then uh, you know over the summer we have a couple of uh, a couple of cool things lined up. Like we are playing melodic rock fest in Chicago, um, which uh, will I'm, I'm very excited for that. I think it's going to be an, an awesome time. Um, we got some other stuff that it's uh, you know we we are in talks with <laughs> uh, for the for the summer so we uh, we hope that we can kind of expand on that you know because we love you know we love New York City we love playing in New York City but like we love also getting out of New York City and just spreading spreading the love across the country so um, hoping to to just be super 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 busy um, definitely within April and May like that's the target goal so you know Sure, to look out for those dates, and hopefully we'll get to Kansas City. Man, you better do so, and if so, we'll get you set up. We, you know, we'll, we, anything you need, we'll get you set up. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do, we'll get you some Kansas City barbecue, man. We'll do it right. Uh, hope oh, we can. Nice. Get, oh man, you can't, be, can't beat it, man. We got to get you out here. We'll be uh, absolutely 
available to promote anything you guys have coming up. We'll be doing that. So when uh, you guys have a release up here uh, coming up in spring, the spring, like you said, we'll be happy to spread that along and uh, you know hopefully work hand in hand and building this thing up because it's so important. I, I said to my buddy the other day, I was like. What, what are we going to do in 10 years? I, I, I go to concerts all year round. I mean, we're always going to it somewhere. And I'm like, what am I going to do in 10 years? All my favorite bands will be done. They'll be retired or dead. Uh, but so bands like yours, that's what's so important about a band like Station, man, because you, you keep it alive and that's what's important, keeping these, you know, keeping these, this kind of, kind of music alive. And that's what's great about it, man. We hope you keep doing it. Thank you. I, I think what the, the you know the people want is, is there's there's just there's not rock today. There's metal and there's indie, but there's not really like a nice a nice wedge in the middle. Um, I would say maybe like the closest would be like a you know Hinder had back in the day, probably a little more metal metal leaning. But like you know, I, I think that's kind of what we what we bring to the table is just being like, you know, the metal guys like it because we play guitar solos and I sing really high notes and then, you know, the indie rock guys love it because, you know, we have a hook and a melody and, you know, it's 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 not abrasive and, you know, in your face. It's it's just it's good, you know? Like Absolutely. I, you know, I'm like totally I'm totally my ego by calling my own music good. But <laughs> I, guess, I guess I should I guess I should hope that it's good, you know. Yeah, you should you should probably enjoy the music that you're playing. I think that's important and you should probably like it. That's good stuff, man. Well I'll tell you what, Patrick, we can't thank you enough, man, for joining us. Let's uh let's catch up soon. We'll be in touch in these next few months and uh hope everything goes well in the studio and uh and all else in between, man. Let's catch up. Best of luck, Merry Christmas to all you guys, and we will definitely be in touch, my man. Yeah, sounds great, dude. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. You bet. You too. Cannot thank Patrick enough for joining us, guys. Highly recommend checking out the band Station. They have some wonderful videos on YouTube. Just type in Station Band. I'm a huge fan of the song All You Need Is A Heartbeat. That song is like so bombastic, hard rock 80s that I can't even stand it. I love that song. Um... With me tonight, another great one. They they just encapsulate that era so well, and I'm very you know. And, and like we talked about in the interview, they're not trying to necessarily be a copycat of those bands, like so many bands are or have done, uh, you know, in the 2000s. But you know, just huge props to them, and um, can't wish them uh, enough success. Hope they are able to keep this going and, and establish themselves all across the country. And of course, big thanks to Rudy Sarzo. Thanks to, to all of you for joining us as we head into 2018. Things are just getting started here on the Music Mania Podcast. I'll tell you what, things are heating up. Tours are starting. Shows are beginning. It's going to start getting warm uh, here in the next couple months, and that means summer concerts, and I've got several on my docket going to be covering. I know for a fact I'll be in Springfield, Missouri, covering Sticks and REO Speedwagon, two of my favorite bands of all time. That's coming up in March. I've got uh, the big Brett Michaels, um, Lita Ford, Firehouse Warrant, Dawkins Show, and Council Bluffs coming up in March as well. Um, so that's going to be exciting. And, of course, you got the White Snake, and uh, Foreigner Tour is going to hit here in July. Those are just the ones that have been announced so far. So there's so much going on. We're going to be talking with, you know, uh, members of a lot of these bands as, as this all comes out. And, of course, expect a big year 2018 from us. Next week, our guest will be Carmine Apice. We're going to be talking to him about the uh, Apice Brothers album that came out. He and his brother did uh, Sinister together. We're going to be talking to him about that so much more. So be sure to join us next week. Thank you again, guys. Happy New Year. Have a safe and happy one. Thank you so much for being a part of the Music Media Podcast.